All right, good morning. It's good to see you here today. I hope that you enjoyed the Sunday school hour, the adult Bible study, and all that went on with that. And now we're here to sing and to worship and to pray together, to unite our hearts around God's Word, and to uh, allow ourselves to be changed into the image of the Lord. And so I hope that you're ready to participate and anticipate what God has for you today. Well, thank you, Pastor Dan, for such a uh, wonderful weekend with all of you. Beth and I have delighted our, you know, been delighted in our time with you and just been so blessed as we have been here. Uh, I've been here on several occasions, and uh, so to be here this weekend with you and to speak to the men yesterday and then our time uh, with Pastor Dan and your beloved pastor, uh, your friendship over the years has just been a great blessing to us. So we're, we're, we just couldn't be more thankful. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible, and before I tell you where I'm going to ask you to turn to, I want you to promise me something. This is a really familiar text. So what happens when the preacher asks you to turn to a really familiar text? Like, for example, John 3.16. That's not the text. But when the preacher says, turn your Bible to John 3.16, and you open up your Bible to John 3.16, there's a little thing that goes on in your head. And it's like, I've already heard a lot of sermons on John 3.16. And your brain says, I'm going to pay attention, but I'm also going to think about other things because this is a really familiar text. So you know what the benefit of a really familiar text is? It's really familiar. And the problem with a really familiar text is, it's really familiar. So when I tell you about this text this morning, it's in Matthew's Gospel, so you can find the Gospel of Matthew. I'm not going to tell you what chapter yet, but it's in the first half. I'm going to lead you a little bit at a time. I want you to promise me something. I want you to promise me that you will suspend anything that you have heard about this text before and listen to this text as though it were the very, very first time you ever heard it. Can you do that this morning? I want you to pretend that you were in a church and Matthew's gospel had been delivered to you And your pastor said, we have a wonderful opportunity today to read for the very first time a gospel that one of the Lord's disciples wrote. Boy, you would be excited. I would be excited. And so I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to look at the very end of Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. And I want you to pretend that you have never heard these verses before. Now, you've heard these verses a lot. Because anytime somebody talks about missions or evangelism, sooner or later they're going to talk about this verse. And so you bring and I bring a lot of thinking that we've heard to this paragraph. But I want you again to pretend that this is the very, very first time you have ever heard these verses. All right, are we there? We have that in our mind? Okay, let me read them to you. 
This is what you would be hearing the very first time. Now, you would not be hearing it in English. You would be hearing it in what language? Greek. Does anybody speak Greek? Then we better read it in English. Don't you think that would be a good thing this morning since none of us speak Greek? Let's read it the way that uh, Matthew would have written it in English if uh, we had heard it. Now, you, you, some of you have a King James Bible. Some of you have a New American Standard Bible. Some of you have uh, an English Standard Version. Some of you have different versions of the Bible. I'm going to be reading the original text out of the King James Bible, and then we're going to be looking at other texts, and I'll be using some of the other versions, so we'll keep it interesting along the way. So let's read together, beginning in verse 35. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, announcing the good news about the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into this harvest." So let's pray, and then let's ask God to help us listen to Matthew carefully as he unpacks this paragraph for us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we come to your word to sit under its truth. Open our eyes, as the psalmist says, so that we would see wonderful things that you have placed here for your glory and our good. And we're going to need your help to do that. So send your spirit. To help us with this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you're like me, you have read the Gospel of Matthew before, but you may not have read it recently. If you had read the Gospel of Matthew beginning in chapter 1, and you had just been listening, and you got to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, you would say in your mind, Matthew is repeating himself. He already told us this. So we need to go back to chapter 4 to see where Matthew first mentioned this idea. So you may want to keep your finger in Matthew chapter 9, and you look at verse 35 of 9, and you listen to me read Matthew chapter 4, and see how similar these two paragraphs are. All right, so you're in Matthew 9, verse 35. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. You follow along. And he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming, announcing, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and from the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. 
All right, do you see how similar the end of Matthew chapter 4 and the end of Matthew chapter 9 are? Do you see that? You see how similar they are? It's like a parenthesis. You have the opening of the parentheses at the end of Matthew chapter 4, and you have the closing of the parentheses with a repeated paragraph at the end of chapter 9. So if you're reading and you see a parenthesis, where are your eyes supposed to go? To what's inside the parentheses. So there's something going on here that begins at the end of Matthew 4 and it it ends at the end of Matthew chapter 9. And whatever it is... The culmination of it all is Matthew saying, let me remind you of what I just told you. Jesus went everywhere announcing the gospel of the kingdom and healing people and delivering people. And then he wants you to know that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So this is what's been going on. And so here's what I think Matthew is doing. He is getting a group of people ready for an amazing mission that they're going to do in two parts. Those men are named for you in Matthew chapter 10. So look at Matthew chapter 10. He called to him his 12 disciples. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits to heal every disease and every affliction. And the names of these apostles are, and then he names them in verses 1 through 4, all 12 of them. And then in verse 5, he sends them out. And he says, go nowhere among the Gentiles. So when you go out with this authority I just give you, gave you, don't go to the Gentiles. Go instead to the house of Israel. So they are supposed to take this amazing announcement about the kingdom in chapter 10. These 12 men are supposed to take it to Israel. But in chapter 28, Jesus gathers them back again. And this time he sends them where? Go ye into all the what? Into all the world. So Jesus is going to take these 12 men and he's going to send them out in two commissions. He's going to send them out, first of all, to Israel. And when that mission is done, he is going to send them out to the entire world. And I'm going to say this to you because I think it's true. You and I are here today because their mission was successful. We're here today, most of us as Gentiles, because somebody shared the gospel of the kingdom with us And we were delivered out of the kingdom of darkness, like Paul talked about to the Colossians. And we were transferred into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of his dear son. How did that happen? Somebody came and told you the message about Jesus, the good news, the gospel. So whatever Jesus is doing here is amazing. And it is of utmost importance for his church. And so that brings me to the question this morning. How does Jesus get these 12 men ready to go into that world? What did he do to get them prepared? 
Because if we can see what Jesus did to get them prepared, we'll know what Jesus is doing to get us prepared. So what did Jesus do to get these men prepared? And so Matthew says, well, let me tell you. And the first thing that Matthew wants you to do is he wants you to see what Jesus saw. So if we're going to get ready to do the mission that God has for us, like those 12 disciples did the mission God had for them, we're going to have to listen to Matthew. And Matthew says, here's the first thing, you need to see what Jesus saw. So what did Jesus see? Verse 36, when he saw what? The multitudes, the crowds. Matthew says, now look, Jesus went up and down the Galilee. He went to all the cities, all the little towns, all the big towns. Josephus believed that there were more than 240 towns that made up this region. And they were filled with people. And Matthew says, the first thing that you need to get ready to do the mission that God is calling you to do is you need to see what Jesus saw And the first thing that that Matthew said is this, Jesus saw people. He saw the multitudes. But, But he didn't just see the people. He saw the multitudes in a certain way. And so to help you understand that, he gives you an image, a picture. They are like sheep without a what? Without a shepherd. Now, when was the last time you owned a sheep? Does anybody here own a sheep? Anybody here ever own a sheep? Okay, one person. In this whole church, only one person has ever owned a sheep. How many of you have ever touched a sheep in your whole life? Not even half of you have even touched a sheep. Most of you have eaten a sheep, right? But you haven't touched a sheep. You haven't owned a sheep. But if you lived in Jesus' world, everybody understood what sheep were, right? You know, sometimes in the ancient world, a king would look at all of his kingdom and he would say about everyone in those kingdom, those are my sheep. And they would look at that king and they would say to that king, you are my what? Shepherd. Can I give you an example of this? How many of you remember when you were in school learning about ancient Egypt? Anybody remember ancient Egypt? All right. Ancient Egypt had kings. Do you remember what they were called? They were called pharaohs. Do you know any famous pharaohs? Can you think of a young pharaoh that died that was discovered and everybody became familiar with his name? King who? King Tut. King Tutankhamun, right? Known as King Tut. And everybody has seen that beautiful gold mask. And, you know, he's, he's in that mask and his arms are crossed and he has two things in his hands. Do you remember what they were? One looked like a, a flail, right? A, a small whip. And the other looked remarkably like what? A shepherd's crook. Because if you were King Tut in the ancient world, all of your people in Egypt belonged to you and they were your sheep. 
And all of the people would look at their king, they would look at King Tut and say, you're our father, you're our shepherd. You're the one that's going to take care of us. You're the one that's going to direct us. You're the one that's going to protect us. You're the one that's going to provide for us. You're the one that's going to make sure we have work to do. You're, going to, you're the one that's made, going to make sure we have food to eat. You're responsible to keep all the gods happy. You're responsible to make sure the river Nile rises. You are our shepherd. You are going to take care of us. That's how the ancient world thought. And so when Jesus said he looked at these multitudes, he's saying they are like a kingdom who has lost their what? Their king, their shepherd. What happens to sheep when there's no shepherd? And the answer is absolute destruction happens. Can you imagine a group of sheep, a flock of sheep, encountering a hungry bear or an angry lion? And there's no shepherd anywhere. What happens to those sheep when that bear sees them and comes into their midst and he's hungry? Or that lion comes into their midst and he's angry? What happens to them? They're destroyed. They're damaged. They're lacerated. Remember in the Old Testament, David watched over sheep and As a young shepherd, he slew a lion and he slew a bear. Can you imagine if David hadn't been there? What would have happened to those sheep? And that's exactly what Matthew says. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and hopeless. They were faint and scattered. The idea there is that they had been seriously damaged. Somebody had come into their midst and damaged them, and defiled them, and destroyed them. And it happened because this shepherd was missing. You say, well, what are we supposed to do with that first truth that Matthew says? Well, think about it this way. Jesus went around and he saw everyday people doing everyday things. They would go down to the Sea of Galilee and catch fish, and then they would bring the fish over to Magdala, and there in that little town they would salt the fish, and then they would put it in boats and they would sell it to all the villages on the edges of the Sea of Galilee, and some of them would put it in carts, and they would take it down to Jerusalem, and they would sell it down there. Some of the men were building some of Herod's work projects. They were everyday people going about their everyday life, doing everyday things, and Jesus saw them, and he saw something different. He saw the damage that had happened to them. You know, I was telling the men this morning in Sunday school, if you draw a 15-block circle around your church, just 15 blocks, go in any direction, you know what you're going to find? People doing everyday things. Friday afternoon, I took a walk out the front door of your church and I walked down, is it Geary Street? And I walked all the way down to Union Square. And then I turned left and I walked maybe 10 blocks. And what do you think I hit? What part of San Francisco did I find myself in? Little China. If you go the opposite direction and you go six or seven blocks, what are you going to find there? Little China. 
or little uh, Japan, rather, right? You're going to find all the, you, you can go, there's Italy, there's, there's Saigon. I mean, you have everything in a 15-block radius of your church. And if you just walk those blocks, you know what you would see? You would see what I saw, everyday people doing everyday things. I went down that one street, you know, where all the tourists go down, and they had all the touristy things. And then I went down a couple of side streets, and I got to the real little China. And I saw all the fish markets. And I went in and I saw all the people buying things. And I looked in these pots and there were huge frogs in a, in a bucket. And there were some massive turtles over here and there were people buying. I walked into another store and there were all kinds of different nuts. I don't mean people, I mean like real nuts. <laughs> like walnuts and, and, and chestnuts and, and I mean all kinds of things. And then I, I walked into another place and there was somebody had a whole place where they were selling clothing and, and cloth and somebody was on a sewing machine. And, and I thought to myself, these are everyday people doing everyday things. And they are within walking distance of this pulpit. And you know what? They don't have a shepherd. And you know what Satan has been doing? He's been doing the same thing to them that he was doing to these people he was destroying them. And that's the second thing that Matthew wants you to do. He wants you to see what Jesus saw, but then he wants you to feel what Jesus felt about what he saw. And, and so he says, now, when Jesus saw this, when he saw all of that activity, all of those people doing everyday things, his heart was moved with compassion and, and the word there isn't, isn't just that he felt sorry for them. Like you might feel sorry for someone who hasn't eaten for a while. Or someone who maybe has fallen into uh, a, a lot of difficulty or trouble and your heart is sad about that and you feel sorry. That's not this word. This word is much deeper. This is the word that you would use... With, with someone whose life was so impacted by something that, that he wanted or she wanted to use the rest of their life to fix. I mean, think about a little nine-year-old boy who comes home one day from school and he goes into his house and he comes running in the door with his backpack and he can't wait to get upstairs to get his school clothes off so he can go out to the ball field and play ball with his buddies. But as he comes in the front door, he sees something unusual. Dad is home early. And dad is never home early. And it looks like mom's been crying. And he walks in, he's like, what's going on? And his mother says, don't worry, honey, everything's fine. You go upstairs and get changed. You go out to play and I'll call you when dinner is ready. And he knows that something bad is going on in that room. And over the next six months, he starts hearing the word cancer a lot. And his dad has to go to the doctor all the time. And the hair starts to fall out, and, and he watches his dad go from this strong, active person to this emaciated person, and no matter what he tries, or how hard he works, or what medicine he takes, it doesn't change. And there comes a day in that little boy's life where he stands before a casket holding the earthly remains of his dad, and he makes a promise to himself. And this is the promise. I'm going to do whatever it takes for the rest of my life to find a cure for this 
so no other little boy ever has to go through what I'm going through. That's the word. That's what this word means. Jesus is saying when he, or Matthew is saying, when Jesus looked at the, the crowds, he didn't just feel sad. He didn't just feel sorry. He was grieved to the point that he was going to do whatever it took to fix this. And until you and I walk around and we see people that way and we say, it doesn't matter what it costs, it doesn't matter what it takes, I want the gospel of Jesus Christ to get there. We have not felt what Jesus felt. And Matthew says, you have to feel what Jesus felt. And then there's a third thing, and that is this. You have to believe what Jesus knew. Jesus knew something. He saw something, he felt something, but he knew something. So what did he know? What did he know? Remember that parenthesis I told you about? Go to the front end of that. Go to Matthew chapter 4. And listen to how Matthew introduces this ministry that Jesus had. Look at verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he went somewhere. He went to Galilee. Now why did he go to Galilee? I mean, why would you go to Galilee if you're about to announce this amazing message? Why would you go to Galilee? And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Here are two weird names. They're the names of two tribes. And when God gave the land of Israel to the twelve tribes, the region that he gave to these two tribes was Galilee. And then Matthew says, now here's why Jesus did that. Here's why he went to Galilee. Verse 14, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. So 800 years earlier, a prophet named Isaiah had made an amazing announcement to the people living in Galilee. Here's what Isaiah said, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. What land is that? The way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. That land. The people dwelling there, verse 16, the people dwelling in darkness have what? They've seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So who, what, what is this light business? So, you know what, we better go back to Isaiah 9. Because that's where this promise was first made. In Isaiah 9. Look at verse 1. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. So, there was a time where this land was destroyed. You remember the Assyrians came and they destroyed the northern kingdom. This is the northern kingdom. And they took Israelites out of that kingdom and they brought Gentiles in and they planted all kinds of Gentiles in this land. This is why it's called Galilee of the Gentiles. But in the latter time, 
Later, he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Why? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Well, who is this light that's going to do this? Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and righteousness for this time forth and forevermore. Who is that light? And the answer is that light is a son that is given. And he's got four names. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. The leader, the prince who brings peace. And he's going to sit on his father David's throne. And from that throne, he is going to rule a kingdom that is marked by justice and by peace. And Matthew says, that time that Isaiah talked about has come. And the son that Isaiah said would do all this is Jesus. And the first thing Jesus does is he goes by the Sea of Galilee and he calls four men. Fishermen. A man named Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And then two other brothers, James and John, also fishermen. And then he goes and he starts preaching and announcing the gospel of the kingdom. What was it that Jesus knew? He knew that he had come to fix all of this. He knew that he was the king who was supposed to sit on the throne of this nation. He knew he was the great shepherd. And then he knew he was the good shepherd who would give his life for those sheep. And he called four men. And in chapter 10, he called eight more men. And he said, I want you to know who I am. And I want you to know what I've come to do. And I want you to know what I'm like. Here's who I am. I am the son of David. Here's what I've come to do. I've come to be the great shepherd over these people. And here's what I'm like. I am the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. And that brings us... To the fourth thing, and that is this, we must, we must see what Jesus has been doing. And you know what he's been doing in, in chapters 5, 6, and 7? He has been announcing with authority a new kingdom. His kingdom. And, and it's in a sermon about that kingdom called the Sermon on the Mount. You've all read it. And if you read that sermon, it's all about righteousness and it's all about justice. What is it like to live in the kingdom when Jesus is king? It's all about righteousness. Well, where in the world am I going to get that kind of righteousness? And Jesus said, you're never going to get it from the scribes and the Pharisees because you have to have righteousness that goes way beyond their righteousness. The only way you're ever going to get that kind of righteousness is for me to give it to you. 
And you'll know when that kind of righteousness is in a person's life because they will be living a life that is just and right. And so he begins announcing this amazing kingdom. And then in chapters 8 and 9, he starts walking up and down that kingdom that has been destroyed by an enemy named Satan, and he starts reclaiming people out of that kingdom. He starts not just declaring his authority, but he starts demonstrating his ability to actually take people out of darkness and bring them into light. You see, what in the world are you talking about? Well, look at chapter 8. And just look, there are nine miracles that Jesus does in chapters 8 and 9. He heals a leper in chapters in chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, right? I mean, think about this. Here comes a leper, and he says to Jesus, if you want to, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I want to, and he does an amazing thing. He touches the leper. Now, in ancient Israel, if you touched a leper, what would happen to you? You would become unclean. But for the first time, Jesus touches a leper, and instead of Jesus becoming unclean, what happens to the leper? He becomes clean. And then he he meets a Roman centurion. And the Roman centurion says, I have a servant. And he's in dire straits. And you don't even have to come. All you got to do is speak because I can see that you have authority. And Jesus speaks. And then he he heals Peter's mother-in-law. Think about this. Three outcasts. Three diminished people in ancient Egypt, in Israel rather. A Roman, a leper, and a woman. And they are the first people that Jesus goes to touch and change. And then he calls an amazing thing, right? He, he calls Matthew. Uh, actually, he calls Matthew in, in chapter 9. But in chapter 8, he starts talking to, to people who want to follow him. And he says, now I want you to know... These miracles that I'm doing, when you come and, you, and you're a part of my kingdom, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. And then, and then he gets in a boat with his 12 disciples and he calms the storm. And then he meets two men who are, are in, just destroyed by demons. And the demons recognize him. The demons said, we know exactly who you are. Nobody else recognizes you. We know exactly who you are. And we're begging you, don't judge us ahead of time. We know that at the end, you're going you're gonna to send us to, to the lake of fire. Please don't send us there right now. It's not time. And you know what Jesus did? He had mercy on those demons. Can you imagine? He heals a man who's paralyzed and he forgives his sin. And then he calls Matthew. And then... He heals a girl who is dead, the the daughter of an important synagogue official named Jairus in chapter 9. And then he goes and he heals two blind men who recognize him, even in their blindness. They say, son of David. And then he heals a man who's unable to speak. And so for nine miracles, Jesus has been going up and down and he has been getting his kingdom ready. And he looks at these people, these men, these 12 men, and he says this, the harvest is ready. I've come. The light has shined. The harvest is ready. And it's ready to be reaped. I've gone in. I've done the work. There is a huge harvest ready to be reaped. And that's the final thing. And that is this. 
Those men now have to do something. They have to respond. And so what is it that Jesus wants them to do? And it's this. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would do what? That he would send laborers. Now, now let me end this way. I used to think that, that Jesus was standing there and all of these people, this huge harvest was ready to be reaped and there weren't laborers and sort of Jesus was maybe going like this. There's a big harvest here. It's about to spoil. Where are the laborers? You all need to start praying that God would send laborers. And then you read what Matthew says and that's not Jesus at all. Jesus has been going everywhere with his words just changing everything. So it's not like Jesus doesn't have any power. I don't think Jesus is, is anxious or worried at all about the harvest. I think he's doing something completely different. I think he's looking at 12 men who are seeing all of this going, Jesus, we can't do what you did. There's no way we can go in and rescue people the way you've been rescuing people. And Jesus said, if, I, if you will ask God, I will do the work. In other words, I can reap the harvest with you few men. I don't need a huge army. I just need people who are passionate about this gospel that I'm announcing, who know the truth about me, who are willing to go in and announce that gospel in hard places so that I can reap through them. You know, I have a, a son. <laughs> My son is now almost... Uh, what is he now, 25, going to be 25, he's married. But when he was about 9 or 10 years old, we lived in Wisconsin, and he loved the Green Bay Packers. And his heart's desire, the will of God for his life at 9 years of age, was that he would be a Green Bay Packer. And I already knew that that was not the will of God in his life, because look at me. He's my son, right? So look at me, and you already know he's not going to be a Green Bay Packer. So, but we let him sign up for a little football, little uh, little league football in town. And so he got a little uniform and a helmet and a playbook. And, and, and being as brilliant of a nine-year-old with the attention span of a gnat, he never learned the plays in the playbook. And he played on a team where all the people on that team had played together and he was the new guy, so he didn't get a lot of play time. But if I ever wanted to find him, all I had to do was look and find the coach. Because right next to the coach was this little kid in a uniform with his helmet tugging on the coach's you know, shirt. And he was always talking to the coach. He always was saying stuff to the coach. I'm like, what is he saying to the coach? You know what he was telling the coach? Coach. Put me in. Put me in. I want to go in. Put me in, coach. And it didn't matter who came off the field. Put me in, coach. Didn't matter what position. Put me in. Other team got knocked out. Put me in. No, no, no. I didn't do that. But he, and, and one day, the quarterback was sick. And so the second string quarterback went in and he got his wind knocked out of him. And the next thing I know, my kid is running in putting his helmet on for his first play of the season. And, and they're little kids, so it looked like an anthill, like, you know. And to me, it looked like the ball just popped straight up in the air, and the other team caught it and ran it in for a touchdown. The one play, interception, end of his famous career as a Green Bay Packer. But I learned something that day. You know what? I actually think that's what Jesus wants us to do. He is about to reap a harvest. And you know what he wants us to do? Jesus, put me in. 
I want in. I want to reap. I want to be a part of what you're doing. You say, well, how, how can I do that? Like, how can I do that? Like, practically, how can I do that? I'm going to give you one application, and then we'll pray, and I'll turn it back over to Pastor Dan. How many of you can walk? I mean, like, physically walk. You have two legs, and you can walk, all right? Can I make a suggestion? Start at the front gate of the church and go 15 blocks in any direction. Some of you go this way. Some of you go that way. Just pick, pick, a, you know, just pick a direction and go. Pick a Sunday, maybe after church, or come over here on a Saturday. Start from the front and just go 15 blocks. And say, God, help me to see the people that I'm walking by the way you see them. Help me to feel about what I see the way you feel. I know that you are the light that has come to rescue people out of this darkness. I know you're the great shepherd and the good shepherd. And as you walk down those 15 blocks, pray that. And say, God, I know that you want to deliver people out of their darkness. I, want, I know you want to rescue people out of their sin. Somewhere in this 15-block radius, there are people you want to reach. Give me a burden for them. And Lord, over the next year, would you help me to walk these blocks regularly, praying? Would you help me to buy coffee at that coffee shop? Would you help me to go in that store and buy my groceries there? Would you help me to just do something simple like, as I go to the same coffee shop every week on these 15 blocks, and I get my coffee from that young lady, I say to her, thank you, I love the coffee you sell here. This is awesome, and I'm praying for you. And then pray. And maybe you go into that store and you buy tea or you buy nuts or you buy whatever, you buy your fish. Instead of going down to Walmart and doing it all there, maybe you go into some part of this city that's within those 15 blocks and you start praying as you go, God, today as I go, I want to I see the person selling me that. I want to see that person the way you see them. And I want to be a part of what you're doing to raise up. And, and you know what's going to happen? God is going to hear your prayers. And pretty soon somebody's going to say, why do you always tell me you're praying for me? Well, because I really am. Well, nobody prays for me. Well, I do, and there's a whole bunch of people like me that are praying for our city because our city needs hope. Our, our city needs truth. Our city needs love. Our city needs grace. Our city needs mercy. Where do you go to church? Oh, you know that church? It's, it's, it's not far from here. It's walking distance. It's like 15 blocks from here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That church, yeah, by the hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that church. Hey, you should come sometime. Ah, I don't go to church. I work every Sunday. Yeah, 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 but you know what? You should really come. You'll find a lot of people like you that, that are just trying to do life in a busy city. And you know what happens? Eh, maybe a year from now, something happens in that girl's life or that man's life, and they're like, you know what? I need God. I need to, where, where can I go find God? Oh, that person that came in to buy coffee. Oh, they, that church on the corner. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they come, and they hear the gospel, and then they're reaped. And you were in that harvest. You say, that's it, yeah, just, just 15 blocks. You know how long it takes to walk 15 blocks for most people? An hour. If you took one hour a week 
and you walked 15 blocks, number one, it would be super healthy for you. Right? Your blood pressure would go down, I think. But if you prayed for those blocks, and you prayed for those people, and then you started doing life in those blocks, maybe it's a tenderloin. Pastor Dan took me to his favorite restaurant. You know where it is? In the tenderloin. I'm like, it's right there. We walked back from the restaurant to the church. And you know, there's people in that restaurant. There's a lady in that restaurant who eats there. What'd they say? Every day? Every day she eats there. By herself. Every day. You know what? Somebody could reach that lady. Because she's there every day. By herself. Eating. Same food. They said she eats the same thing every day. How do I know that? Because I saw her and I asked, who's that lady that's over there? Does she have food? Does somebody helping her buy food? No, no, she eats there every day. Every day she eats. She comes every day. Wow. Well, you know what? There's a wonderful opportunity for somebody to get involved in her life. And, and that's just one example of thousands. Union Park. What if you just went and ate lunch at Union Park every day? You got your sandwich and you, drink, you went there and you just ate. And you met people. And they're like, well, what are you doing here? Well, I went to church today and, you know, I, uh, I, uh, I came here to eat my lunch, you know, because we have an afternoon service. And so I wanted to come here and just eat my lunch and pray. You say, well, baby, we got lunch here. I know you got lunch here. But maybe there's a multitude out there that God wants to feed. You see what I'm saying? I mean, all of a sudden you're starting to do life with the sheep that don't have a shepherd. And you know who the shepherd is. And all of a sudden, those people start showing up. They're like, you go to there? Yeah, 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 it's a great church. Well, what do you do there? Do you like, are you weird? No, 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 we're just broken. Just, you know, we're sinners and we're just trying to do life like you are. And we found a shepherd and he is awesome. And all of a sudden they start coming. And maybe three years from now you look around and the church, the pews are much fuller. Why? Because people from these 15 blocks in every direction have been reaped. Well, who reaped them? You. Holy Spirit used you to do that. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? So let's pray that God would do that. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the way that you are at work in us. And I pray that, Lord, this message would so inspire us and encourage us and equip us that we would go into that harvest field and say to you, Lord, help me, let me be a part of the harvest that you are reaping in our city. In Jesus' name, amen.